A little boy fell out of bed one night and his mother came rushing in to see what had happened. What happened? What happened? She said. To which he replied, I fell asleep too near to where I got in. And that is exactly how it happens with many people in their spiritual experience. They fall asleep too near to where they get in. Satisfied that their sin is forgiven, that their reservation for heaven has been confirmed, they fall asleep too near to where they get in. Paul could never be accused of that. His life was revolutionized by getting to know the risen Jesus Christ. And he recognized that his knowledge was minimal compared to all that there was to know. And he was eager to know more and more. There are many things that distinguish Christianity from other world religions. But one of the most significant distinctions is this. The Jesus who died and who rose again at the first Easter, that Jesus is alive today. That is the Jesus that we can have a personal intimate relationship with. We can know him personally and intimately, and that ought to be the greatest desire of our hearts. Paul wanted to know Christ. He wanted to know Christ better. So he wrote to the Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering." becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Notice the things that Paul desires in these verses. First of all, he desires a better knowledge of Christ's person. All relationships have to start somewhere, but they are expected to go somewhere as well. A relationship can be either tenuous and temporary or deep and intimate. My wife and I both grew up in Rosemary Congregation in North Belfast. And I remember there was a girl in the youth fellowship who always claimed to know certain well-known personalities. Maybe people involved in local television or radio. Until on one occasion, she invited one of these personalities, or through, she had persuaded the youth fellowship leader to invite one of these personalities to speak at the youth fellowship. And of course, we discovered she didn't know him at all. She was the name dropper supreme. And there's a sense in which a Christian is a name dropper supreme. For we can drop the name that is above every name. Every time you tell someone you're a Christian, you are dropping his name. But the question is, how well do you really know Jesus? How well do I really know Jesus? Paul felt that the greatest thing that ever happened to him was getting to know Jesus. He said, I consider everything a loss, 
compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The things that he counted as complete loss, according to the verses we read from Philippians chapter 3, were the religious practice and good works he had previously relied upon for his salvation. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. From a Jewish point of view, he had it all. He was a really upright religious person. And he relied on that for his salvation until he met Jesus. The practice of our religion or our efforts to do good works is never sufficient to make us right with God. People often say, God can surely ask nothing more of us than our best. Over and over again, people make this the basis of their hope of eternal salvation. Yet if we are totally honest, we would admit that not just once, not even just a few times every single day, we have failed to achieve what even we think is our best, let alone achieve what God thinks is our best. Paul came to realize that salvation was not about what he could do. It was not about him being a better person. It was about knowing Christ and having a personal relationship with Christ. Knowing Christ was totally radical and revolutionary for Paul. It changed everything. And the most important aspiration he has was to know Christ better. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. In short, Paul says that the greatest thing that ever happened to him was to get to know Christ. And the greatest thing that was ever going to happen to him during his lifetime was getting to know Christ better. We use the word knowing and the word knowledge in two ways. There is the knowledge of our minds based on facts, based on the things we have learned. And we know about Christ that way. We've learned about him in Sunday school, in church, even maybe in day school. We know the stupendous claims he made for himself. Now, if we accept that Jesus is all that he claims to be, if we accept that Jesus is the unique Son of God who died and who rose again, he did it to provide for our salvation, that he did it for us, us to be forgiven, that he did it that we might have the power to live. What do we do about it? And that takes us to the second sense in which the Bible uses the word know. It uses the word in terms of knowledge between two people, to know in this sense if we enter the deepest personal relationship with someone. So Paul says he knew Christ in a deep personal way. He called Christ my Lord. If we believe that Jesus is all that he claims to be, then that demand, demands us coming to know him in a personal and an intimate way. It requires a response of faith and of trust. 
It's like boarding an airplane. I arrive at Belfast International, and I know that that big piece of metal sitting on the runway is an airplane. I know it can fly. I know it can take me to my destination. But that in itself is inadequate to get me to my destination. My knowledge of what it is demands that I commit myself to it. If I am to get to my destination, I must get on the airplane. I must take the step of acting on what I know. And so it is with Christ. You take the step of acting on what you know, and you know that he will act on what he has promised. You submit your life to him. You commit yourself to him, and he will transmit his life and his lordship to you. Do we know Christ in that sense? Do you have that desire to know Jesus, to know him intimately, to awake with him in the morning and to live each day with him and in his presence? There is only one inexhaustible person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. People disappoint us, but Jesus never. It is entirely satisfying to know him. Paul had a desire for a better knowledge of Christ as a person. But notice also he wants to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. He wants a better knowledge of Christ's power. Paul's desire did not stop merely with the knowledge of Christ. He also wished to know his power. Paul is like not talking here about an abstract knowledge about the resurrection any more than he's talking about an abstract knowledge of Christ. He knew all about the resurrection. He knew the evidence for it. He had talked to those who had witnessed it. He had met the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. He even proclaimed it wherever he went in his preaching. But that's not what he's talking about here. What he is saying here is that in addition to knowing about the resurrection, he wants to experience the power of the resurrection. How did Paul wish to experience this power? Above all, in the living of a godly life. Paul knew that a life lived with Christ meant a life of holiness or Christ-likeness. But he also knew that such a life was impossible for him and his own. It depended not on his own ability and in his own power, and his own resources. It depended on Christ. He knew that the natural human could not and cannot ever understand spiritual things. And he knew that in himself he would not have the power to live the Christ-like life that he needed. He says to the Corinthians, such a person does not understand them. They are nonsense to him because their value can be judged only on a spiritual basis. <coughs> he had also learned by experience his own inability to live for Christ as God intended. He writes to the Romans, I, do, I don't do the good I want to do. Instead, I do the evil that I do not want to do. My inner being delights in the law of God. But I see a different law at work in my body 
a law that fights against the law which my mind approves of. It makes me a prisoner to the law of sin which is at work in my body. What an unhappy man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is taking me to death? Paul longs for deliverance from living a defeated Christian life through Christ's resurrection power. Paul was sensitive to power, as were many of his contemporaries. The world in which he lived was a world of power, most of it originating in Rome. The Jews, they were proud of their religious heritage. The Greeks, they were proud of their knowledge and of their wisdom and of their philosophy. But the Romans, they were proud of their power. To the Roman, political power was the greatest reality in the world. And this was the environment in which Paul lived. This was the environment in which Paul had grown up. And Paul had a genuine respect for Roman power. He appealed to it on several occasions. But Paul knew that political power the Roman, that the Romans had was only the third strongest power in the world. The second strongest power was sin. For sin held people in a vice-like grip through a tyranny far more terrible than Rome. But the strongest power in the world was the resurrection power of Jesus, God's power. The power of the resurrection of Jesus could overcome sin and death. And Paul knew that this power was far more potent than Rome's armies. The power of Jesus Christ is a great reality. And Paul wanted his own life and the life of his fellow believer, believers to reflect in a practical everyday living the wonders of resurrection power. How do you release that power in your life? Well, you start by going to God's source book, the Bible. Take a long look in the Word concerning some of your present longings. See what God has to say to you about your temper or your jealousy or your laziness. Does he condemn these things? If he does, he expects you to finish with them. Do you want to be done with them because you are related to the risen Christ? Then the resources are within you in God's power. God provides us with the power we need. He provides us with the resources we need to stand against sin and to stand against temptation. Tell God that you believe in him and you will obey him. Seek to live in obedience to him and to his word. The power of Jesus Christ is the great reality. And many have come to know it. That's why we can sing, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the vilest clean. His blood availed for me. Paul wanted to experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. He wanted to know that power so that he could overcome sin and temptation. He wanted to know that power so that he could strive to live a holy life before God. 
The third thing that Paul says in these verses is that he wanted a better knowledge of Christ's passion. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. There is no easy believism in the Bible. There's no, not, nowhere in the Bible does it say that when you come to Christ, all your difficulties and all your problems will disappear. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that when you come to Christ, the pressures that this world will disappear. The risen Christ will give you strength to deal with them. But knowing him does not dispel the difficulties. When we look at Scripture, we find no room for a painless commitment. There is no resurrection without a crucifixion. If there was no cross, there would be no empty tomb. It takes a cross to fill the empty tomb so that Jesus could rise again from the dead. There is no way out of this aspect of knowing Christ. If we know Christ, then we will know his suffering. Difficulties and problems come to us in life just as they come to everyone. And difficulties will come to us also by being Christians, the very fact that we're Christians. There are difficulties and problems and pressures will come to us. People will make fun of us. People will mock us. But such difficulties need not be tragic because they can draw us closer to Christ, which allowing his life to be clearly seen in how we live. Notice what Paul says, becoming like him in his death. To understand that, we must go back to chapter 2, where Christ, Paul talks about Christ being obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And he holds this up as a pattern for all Christian conduct. He argues that Jesus was so careful to obey his Father that he laid aside the outward mantle of glory, that he took upon himself human form and nature, that he came into this world as a human being, that he endured all the sufferings of this world, and he died as a human being on that cross. The fellowship of Christ's suffering is won at the price of Christ's radical and total obedience to the Father that he came down to earth from heaven and humbled himself and became obedient to death. Are you like Jesus in that? Are you careful to obey God completely, even at the expense of open persecution and real suffering? Do you live in total obedience to Christ day by day? Unfortunately, many of us are like the man who wrote to the Inland Revenue. He wrote this, I can't sleep. My conscience is bothering me. Enclosed, find a check for 50 pounds. 
If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. That's not obedience. That is compromise. Such an attitude does not lead us to the fellowship of Christ's suffering. If we are to know the risen Christ, if we're really to know him, we are to be obedient to him. We are to obey him completely. We're not to compromise in our obedience just to salve our conscience. Paul goes on in verse 11 to tell us why he deserves to know Christ, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, we must understand this. Paul's not questioning his eternal security here. He's not talking about, you know, I have to do this in order to be sure I'm going to heaven. He knows Christ. He knows that his eternal security is secure. So I am sure that God, who began the good work in you, will carry it on until it is finished on the day of Christ Jesus. Paul knew that God would bring him safely to heaven in the end. But what he's talking about here is to live that resurrection life here and now. He wants to live so that Christ is seen in him, that people see him every day as a resurrected person, as someone who has life in all its fullness, who's someone who has Jesus at the very center of his life and witness. So what he's saying is, as I go about my daily day work, as I go about meeting my neighbors, as I live whatever I'm doing, I want to do it in such a way that people see the living Christ in my life. Robert Murray McShane was the minister of St. Peter's Church in Dundee in the early 1800s. He died at the early age of 29. But on one occasion, a wee boy was at church with his father as McShane was preaching. And as the little boy observed McShane in the pulpit, he said to his dad, is that bonnie man in the pulpit Jesus? Is that bonnie man in the pulpit Jesus? He saw in McShane a reflection of Jesus. McShane so lived his life that people saw Jesus in him. Do you so know, so know Jesus in the suffering of his death and in the power of his resurrection that people see the risen Christ reflected in your life? Do people see Jesus in you? Let us pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for what he has done for us. And we would pray that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering that we might become like him, 
and might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Help, O God, that we may so know Jesus, that day by day as we go about our daily lives, people will see Jesus in us. For we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.